I'm so glad to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Speaking of ripoffs, coming up in today's Clark Rageous Moment, scammers are targeting you regardless of age with cons trying to get your social security number out of you. I want to tell you what you need to know. And coming up yet later, I think about how evergreen it's been, how it's gone on forever, people calling me desperate to unload a timeshare that they bought that maybe at one time worked really well for them, and then it's not. I want to talk about what you need to know to get rid of that timeshare and how to avoid getting scammed. Our main website's clark.com, and as we close in on Christmas, we're in the last week of Christmas shopping, I want to tell you Clark Deals is there for you working around the clock to give you the best last-minute bargains for your dollars so you can get the right gift for the right person at a Clark kind of price. So I want to share something with you that in my, uh, gosh, almost 33 years on the air, there's been a trend that has been unmistakable. Over this third of a century, I went through the first probably 15 years I was on the air never taking a question about saving for retirement spending in retirement, anything like that. It just did not exist as a topic those first probably 15 years. But since then, in ever-increasing numbers, people call me and ask about various retirement questions, either starting out, wanting to know about saving in a 401k, the first time they've done that at work, doing a Roth IRA, uh, being mid-career and trying to catch up, or being at the end of the work cycle and wanting to know decisions to make moving forward as they approach retirement. So why is it that for the first decade and a half, I basically never had a question about it, and now it's so common? What was the difference back in the 1980s and 1990s? By far and away, the biggest difference was people retired with pensions then. So they weren't really having to make these decisions, weren't having to make choices, weren't having to try to figure this out. Today, almost nobody has a pension, and who you can depend on is me, myself, and I. And so that's led to so many more questions in an area that people find very confusing. Well, I know there are a lot of people in the financial industry that want you to be confused so that you'll feel like you need them. You need to pay them. You need to let them handle it for you. And you may be intimidated or bored by or anything like that. Don't Let yourself be a sitting duck. Overcome that. 
And a lot of the organizations that were self-serve now offer various forms of service to help you. Like Fidelity Investments has been experimenting with a virtual reality tool to help you figure out how much you need to save and what you should do with it and all that. And all the firms, all the big uh, ultra-cheap firms, Vanguard, Fidelity, Schwab, which are the big three of low-cost investing, all three of them have various programs to, if you just don't want to have to worry with it, that make it ultra-easy for you to start investing and to keep investing. And there are various strategies they use, all of which involve you paying no commissions and paying ultra-low costs for investing. So know that you're not alone. You don't have to have a salesperson. And there are wonderful, low-cost choices for you available. At Clark.com, I have information for you how to get started with that Roth IRA, how to make choices in a 401k, and how to know what it's costing you to invest. And remember these key rules. You do not invest with an insurance company. Period. And I prefer that you never invest with a full commission stock brokerage or a bank or any brokerage affiliated with a bank. I want you with low-cost providers. I want people who are putting you first and charge no commissions. Do you know that if you go invest with an insurance company, it can cost you as much as 400 times in fees and expenses, what it costs to invest with a low-cost house like Vanguard, Fidelity, or Schwab, 400 times more. And the greatest indicator of what kind of money you'll have down the road is what you pay up front in expenses. Patrick is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Patrick. How you doing? Doing great, Clark. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you. Patrick, tell me how I can be of service to you today. So I've been a, uh, I'm a recent uh, convert to the Clark follower team, and I hear a lot that you want us to, or you recommend um, going with the credit union for, for some or most or all of our baking. And so I've been looking around in Arizona where I live, and all of the local credit unions seem to be um, getting kind of some bad reviews and there's a lot of complaints around junk fees and and things of that nature. And I was wondering if there are some nationally, um, you know, some national credit unions that you recommend or is, am I going to miss out on some of the benefits that a smaller local credit union would provide if I went with one of those? All right. So first things first, I've got to congratulate you. That is so fantastic that you've been doing the kind of research you've been doing. That you've well, been reading online reviews and seeing what people are saying. And I'm terribly disappointed to hear that uh, from what you've seen online, people are disappointed with credit unions they're finding local to you. But usually the best way to find a, a credit union 
that people are happy with that would be local is to ask people where you work. Do you work at? Do you work for yourself, or do you work at an organization that um, there are lots I work for other a small people? Company that's that's headquartered in Florida, so that's not going to provide a, a ton of benefit there. All right, then I want to I want to give you an online tool where you can see what credit unions are available. That let's start with what might be available for you in Arizona. And it's yourmoneyfurther.com. Okay. And you'll be able to find a credit union near you. There's a button in the upper right-hand corner. And you just put in your zip code, and you'll see what is available near you. And then you'll be able to eliminate the ones that you've seen the nasty reviews for. Um, As far as national credit unions... There are a number of really, really large credit unions. Many of the largest ones are available uh, generally restricted to people who have served in the U.S. military or do currently or their family members. And did you ever serve in the military? Uh, I did not. Okay. So there are some credit unions that are military-related that you can join even as not someone of current or prior service. One of the big ones in the country is Pentagon Federal Credit Union. It's Penn Fed Credit Union. And they have different uh, ways you can join the credit union by joining uh, military support organizations for very low costs. And then you're eligible for Penn Fed membership. Okay. And that is a very well-respected large credit union. But uh, the credit unions, generally, the larger ones are, I mean, they're huge national or worldwide organizations, like Navy Federal Credit Union is all over the globe. And so a completely different kind of feel than you'd have with a local credit union. And are you in the Phoenix Metro or Tucson Metro? Phoenix. Phoenix. So Phoenix has a lot of local credit unions. And I would be really surprised if you didn't find one that when you checked online reviews, people weren't happy with it. It's a pretty active credit union market. Yeah, well, maybe there's another question that I have. So I was focusing on ones that were at close to a billion dollars uh, under management or higher thinking that that was a good way to gauge that maybe the stability of the credit union is that am i off base on that or so um, the the difference you get not so much stability the difference you get when you get to a billion is that generally they're going to have more resources to offer the latest in online banking apps and more cutting edge kind of features than you're going to have with a smaller local credit you know people go with credit unions for different reasons to get better deals on checking, better deals on savings, or better deals on lending. Um, and those are the two areas people tend to concentrate on. And so I, as a general over, as a true overgeneralization, credit unions tend to fall more as savers credit unions or borrowers credit unions and where they put their biggest emphasis And so really think through why you want that credit union and see what 
best will meet your needs. Matthew is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Matthew. Hey. Matthew, you're interested in becoming a pilot, is that right? That is correct. Well, that's really great. I mean, could you be more brilliant? I I can't. The pilot shortage in the United States and worldwide is going to be the greatest over the next generation that it's ever been. I mean, you write your own ticket today if you train to be a pilot. Not to mention that you get to do something you get paid for that you love doing. Exactly. Well, how can I be of help with this? Well, I'm looking to finance it, and I was wondering what I should be looking for when trying to finance my schooling. Okay. Can I uh, tell you I would start at a different question? Okay. A couple of things I'd like you to look at. Because of the severe pilot shortage, a number of airlines now are offering their own subsidy program for you to train to be a pilot. And that way you greatly reduce the risk you face with the borrowing you might do otherwise. Have you you looked for any of those airline-based programs? No, I have not. I never thought about that. So I would say that would be a number one priority. Number two is in more and more states now, there are state school programs where you go to a, a traditional four-year state-supported college that offers aviation programs, mm-hmm. how to be an aviation mechanic, how to be a pilot, those kind of things. And so you graduate with a degree and a pilot's license, and you do so at state tuition rates and state at a much, much lower price than you'd pay otherwise. The other thing is that if you live in a state that doesn't have a state-supported campus that has a you know, state school that has a pilot training program, you may be able to use one of the multi-state consortiums where you're able to go out of state and pay in-state tuition at a state school that offers pilot training. Okay. So rather than concentrate on how you're going to borrow a mind-numbing amount of money, which to get multi-engine rating, is that going to cost like a quarter million dollars? Something like that. Yeah. I'd much rather you not spend anywhere near that and get trained where you're part of the feeder system for a particular airline or that you get it where your state helps pay for you to get that license. Yeah. Now, what I've also been told is that I also look into the Civil Air Patrol. Is that something that would be useful? Uh, I have had I've had that suggestion before, and I think that's a great idea for you to check with CAP and see if there is an opportunity through Civil Air Patrol for you to get a pilot's license at a lower possible cost. Check them all out before you start thinking about how you're going to borrow a quarter million dollars. Today's Clark Rageous moment is something to take to heart. Scams involving people trying to get your social security information out of you or other personal information up 23-fold in the last year, according to the New York Post. And criminals are using every manipulative technique they can to con 
personal information out of you. The most important thing is do not engage anyone in conversation who claims to be from the Social Security Administration. They're not calling. And anybody calling pretending to be is with near 100% certainty a crook. And know that they're no longer targeting just the elderly. They're targeting people of all ages with all kinds of fish stories about why you need to cough up personal information or pay them money to protect your social security. Ignore them all. Hang up the phone. Delete the email. Thanks for taking time out of your day to join us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website. ClarkDeals.com is where we post deals for you around the clock. So important this week. If you are a procrastinator and you haven't taken care of everybody who's been nice on your list, maybe even buy gifts for some that have been naughty, we got the deals for you at ClarkDeals.com. So what's not a deal? When you own a timeshare that you want to get rid of. So I have used a phrase forever that timeshares are a defective product. The reason I call them a defective product is a normal product when you buy it has intrinsic value when you decide it doesn't fit your life anymore. The unfortunate thing is that most timeshares, most, not all, have basically no value in the marketplace for you once you bought it from the developer. Most of the value of it went down the drain with marketing costs, commissions, and all the rest. Think about the overhead that's involved in selling a single condominium unit 50 or 51 times instead of selling a condominium unit one time to one owner. So the value of the actual real estate is pretty much eviscerated by it being sold by the original developer all those times. So what do you have to sell if you don't want that timeshare anymore? You have an obligation that may cost a buyer 1000 bucks a year, let's say, for that week for maintenance and other expenses that are passed on to them. I mean, I can go stay somewhere really nice for less than that $1,000, and then I'm not responsible for a timeshare. But there are people who love them. What if you don't? Maybe you did, but your life changed, and you don't. Well, number one, I want you to know that there is the possibility in rare cases, for you to sell a timeshare back to the original developer, the original marketing organization. A lot of the big hotel chains that got into the timeshare biz don't want the word out there how little that week is worth. Because if people put them on resale sites at the same time that... Uh, one of the hotel chains is trying to sell new weeks. And you're saying, I'll pay you $3,000 to take over my week. 
What does that do to the hotel chain trying to sell a week for $25,000 or $30,000? The value, the perceived value in the marketplace is demolished. So a lot of times the developer, if they're still actively marketing weeks, may be willing to take that timeshare back from you. They probably, most cases, won't pay you anything. But in others, they might pay you some to get your week back in inventory that they can resell. Now, I want to mention a website first mentioned to me by a listener, and it seems to be legit, called ResponsibleExit.com. Let me repeat that, ResponsibleExit.com. And it's where various real estate developers are trying to keep you from posting a week that you've got where you're trying to dispose of it and you're willing to pay anybody thousands of dollars just to take it over. That's just so bad for their business, they can't stand it. So at ResponsibleExit.com, it's where the developers are trying to protect their reputation and as a side benefit, you protect your wallet. But if you've got a week somewhere that the developer is done, they've washed their hands of it, they're out, they're not actively selling, they're not interested in you at all. I want to mention again the Timeshare Users Group that I've talked about over the years that you can go to, and it is like a co-op of people where they post about the development they're in and the 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 units they have and all that. And then there is a selling forum there to sell units. And it costs, I think, like 15, 20 bucks a year to be a member. And then you can post a week. And the best potential buyer of a week that you want to get rid of that you can't get anybody normal ways to want to buy it or people who already own a week at a place and would really like another one. Maybe their family's grown, or maybe they want to bring others with them. Maybe they have relatives that's too close for comfort for them to be in the same unit, but they want to have family week together, but separately. They could buy your week from you, or you could pay them to take your week, and you just do a traditional real estate closing with whoever you would sell to, so that you have no further legal obligation on that property. Heather is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Heather. How's it going? It's going well today. We've got some you know, decent weather for, uh, for this time of year. Well, great. Well, how can I be of service to you? Well, I heard you say that couples should have credit cards in their own names. So despite being a blended family, my husband and I went all in together on financial transparency and combined all of our finances when we got married. So now we each have cards with each other's names on them for almost all of our credit cards. Some of them might be authorized users, but we could be co-owners, and I don't even know how to tell the difference. And I'm wondering if that authorized user is just as dangerous as being a co-owner. So dangerous. Let's talk about what danger means in this case. So if you are co-owners, you know, you're both owners of an account, what one does, the other is legally liable for. 
if you are an authorized user on a card, you can use it all you want and you're not responsible for paying and you're not responsible for your spouse's use of it either. Even if you're married. Well, okay, so that is one exception and that's people who live in community property states. The debts of one are treated as the debts of the other in most situations, but there are actually very few community property states. And most are in the southwest or parts of the west. So how do you know if you're an authorized user on a card or a co-owner? Do you just have to call the credit card company to ask? And hope you get an accurate answer. You might be able to tell from looking at your credit report. But the best way is to do just what you said, is to call the customer no service number and say you're trying to figure out if you're co-owners of an account or if one of you is an authorized user. So if we keep very little debt on the card at all or pay it off every single month and don't have any expectation that that's going to change, then being having both of our names on the credit cards doesn't seem to have the same kind of risk. Right. And it's also really great for both of your credit because it means that both of you look like you've got a lot of cards because you have your cards and he has his cards, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So, but by, by crossing them where you got authorized users together on some of them and you got co-borrower co, uh, on others then it means both of you look like you've got quite an amount of available credit and you should both have, as long as you've been paying your bills on time, you should both have great credit scores. We do, and it sounds like from this that we probably don't need to change anything. So that's, exactly. that's good to know. I mean, the, the time that people call me in distress with your question is when the personal relationship is deteriorating and that's the only time that these questions of authorized user, co-owner, whatever, become really dire and important. But if everything's going along swimmingly, then you're just fine. Great. Well, have a great day, and I appreciate the question because it is one that can be very confusing. And again, in unhappy relationship situations, it can get really, really into being a problem quick. Nikki's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Nikki. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Nikki. You have a question about reducing your debt. Right. So I'm looking at reducing um, my debt income ratio. And I was told that if I make early car payments, that um, that would help. But my question is, when I make early payments or when I make extra payments, do I pay that towards the entrance or do I pay that towards the principal? Principal always. Okay. So here's why. You're not doing anything of real benefit to yourself if when you, when you say about paying interest only, what they tend to do is they credit you a month ahead on your payment. That's mm-hmm. not what you want. You want a payment credited. I mean, you want the principal credited instead of paying a month ahead or something. Because once you've removed that principal from the loan, 
those dollars never generate interest ever again. Okay. So there's a big advantage to you. Now, there's a weird thing, though, I've got to tell you. How long ago did you take out the vehicle loan? It's been a year. Okay. Some loans, did you get the loan at a car dealer? Yes. All right. Sometimes when you get a loan from a car dealer, there could be three potential hazards for you. The loan could come with a prepayment penalty where you're actually Mm -hmm. penalized for paying the loan early. Or it could calculate interest one of two really awful ways. One that's known as rule of 78s or the other known as sum of digits. Did you get a copy when you financed of the actual loan? I did. All right. So there will be a section in there that will tell you how interest is calculated. Mm -hmm. And what you want to see is that interest is calculated by simple interest or daily interest or some terminology like that. Okay. But if you see sum of digits or rule of 78s, it's not really going to help you much to prepay on that loan. Okay. It's a really despicable way that even when people pay off a loan early, they're still stuck with the interest on that loan. Okay. Um, so now, go ahead. So now my other question is: so when I make an extra payment, when I when I make a payment towards my principal other than my regular payment, do I need to contact? the loan company and tell them that I want that to go to my premium? Well, yeah, pretty much what you do is you call and you say you want to make an extra principal payment, not a monthly payment. You want to pay principal. Principal. How do you do that? And do you get a monthly coupon from your loan? No, I don't. Nope. All right. So... You you get no monthly statement. Do you get one once a year or no? Well, it's through... I think they send a statement, but it comes through the credit company. Okay. So, so I don't, I'm paperless, so I, that's why I don't see it. All right. Well, I want you to see it because there may be a form that you send in a separate check that you say this is for principal, and there'll be a box on there that is principal prepayment. Okay. Because you don't want them doing games with your wallet where you send it in with the intention of paying on principal, and instead they just say, oh, yeah, you've already made your payment for February. You're like, nope, that wasn't what I was trying to do. I'm trying to pay that principal down. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. 
Price and coverage match limited by state law. Larry's with us on the Clark Howard Show. And Larry, you have a mortgage question for me. How's it going? I do. <laughs> I do, Clark. Uh, whether I should do a, uh, a reverse mortgage or a regular mortgage, I know you've spoke really badly about reverse mortgages, but I like the idea of no payments. Right. So reverse mortgages become appropriate when you're pretty much out of other ways to pay for your life. Do you own your home free and clear, or do you still have a mortgage on it? I do, Clark. I own my home, and I'm retired. I have a retirement. Say, uh, I mean, I have retirement for my company, also Social Security. I had a 457 account retirement, but my wife and I blew through it pretty quick when I retired. Oh, I'm sorry. So are you finding that each month you're struggling to live the life that you'd like to? Just to do more things, uh, to travel more, things like that. House, all those are easy to take care of. So, and a few, a few uh, credit card bills. Okay, so if you do a reverse mortgage, I, I use a pretty simple back-of-the-envelope way to think about it. You'll usually have expenses involved in making that loan happen that can add up to as much as 10% of the amount of money you're borrowing against the value of the house. Well, I, I did check with a credit union, no name, of course, and I got a really, really low interest rate, under 4%. And uh, say if I wanted, I'm just ballparking, 150000 out of my house, it's worth about three fifty. Uh, my payments are $1,000 a month. The only thing I was worried about is if I die, will my wife be able to handle it? So with a, a proper reverse mortgage, you don't ever have to pay back what you borrow. Okay. See, with a real reverse mortgage, what happens is the house pays you every month instead of you paying a lender. So is that the best or... or, or, or uh, Home equity line of credit? Or refinancing the house. So, if the idea... I know a refinance rate was was really good. Sure. But the idea is you don't have anybody you're worrying about inheriting that house, right? Well, my sons will get it. And I guess that if they want to keep it, they'd have to pay off whatever came on the reverse. Because an alternative potentially is... For your sons, are they of means? Could they afford to lend you money against it? And then that would be money that you would already owe them when they inherited the house? Yeah, I could do that, sure. So, yeah, they're in good shape. Yeah, so if the idea is for you to have more money so you can live a more comfortable life, I think you should involve your kids and see if there's a role they can get involved with and providing the extra funding you need with the understanding and intention that they get the house when you're not going to live there anymore. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.